throw up a picture here to begin our time. Something really manly. There's the centerpiece that I made for my wife not too long ago. No, I'm just kidding. That's totally a lie. I made it for myself. <laughs> and she sometimes notices them. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, this is from my garden. This is a springtime. No, I mean, it's kind of for her. She likes it. But honestly, there's something that God stirred up in me in the last few years of, of gardening and being out in the garden just alone with the Lord. And, 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 and honestly, like, I am in awe of growth and beauty. They are mir miraculous. I mean, like, those things all started as little seeds, like, and, and, and that's, that honestly, like, I worship God out there, like, in awe of, like, all those colors are God's design for beauty's sake, to be a reflection of him. Like Genesis 1 says, he put trees in the garden for food to eat and to be pleasing to our sight. Like, beauty for beauty's sake. It's designed by God. And that they grow into something beautiful from something as small as a seed uh, has captured my, my spirit. And I spend good time out there, like, talking to God about, wow, like, there's so much about this that this, it's so spiritual in how it parallels with discipleship. <laughs> it parallels with your work in our life. What you want to do, you want to take the, the tiny little seeds of faith in us and grow them up into something ridiculously beautiful that's shocking. Like that comes from these tiny little, you know, brown kernels. Like, come on. That is miraculous. And all the elements of it that go into it, they need water, they need good soil, you know, they need to be trimmed and pruned at times. And it just reminds me so often of the reality of the spiritual DNA, the seed, the spiritual seed that God has put in us for Christ-like growth. Like that's, that's God's destiny for each one of that, to have lives that look like that spiritually. Even if you feel like it's, you're a tiny little seed or you're just a little shoot or you're kind of like brown and withered and maybe need some pruning and just barely hanging on, that is God's goal for your life. Like, that is the abundant life that you would bear good fruit. That's God's destiny for there. Like, is that you? Like, that's God's heart for us. And he's contained that heart in the, the spiritual DNA that he's put in each one of us. And Mike and Alicia did a beautiful job talking about that last week, that spiritual DNA of the longing for relationship with God and how that flows into our responsibility to represent him in the world. And those things together form an abundant life. And this morning I want to talk a bit about how do we get there? And I want to go straight to Jesus and how he modeled and embodied with his followers a culture of growth, a culture of empowerment, a culture of vitality that leads to this kind of abundant fruit in ordinary people, messed up people, 
people that would have been, you know, often just forgotten or overlooked if you were trying to assemble, you know, the 12 Avengers team to change the world for Christ. Most of those folks who were picked, and there's a bunch of women as well, they would be overlooked. And that's great news for us. It's about the power of God in us, that spiritual DNA that he has implanted in each and every one of us that comes alive, fully alive, awakened in surrendering to Christ and then walking with Christ and being filled with his spirit so that each and every person on the planet has the capacity to look like that spiritually in the overflow of their life. And so as we look forward this season to the foundations of discipleship in community, this culture of discipleship that is so vital to becoming that in our lives, I want to look at two specific things that Jesus did absolutely intentionally in order to create the fertile soil of discipleship. Two of the fundamental aspects of discipleship culture can be summarized in the words invitation and challenge. And I want to give credit to Mike Breen here, a mentor of mine. A lot of you guys who've been around us for a while know him, his books, his readings, his, his writings, his ministry testimony of a, of a revival that broke out in, in northern England where they became from a, you know, a small little you know, church, normal kind of dealio going on to the largest church in England because of a revival taking place and ironically, it started happening when they lost their building for a year and had to just meet in life groups, essentially, and live out the discipleship ways of Jesus. And they came back together, you know, a year later and got a building back and they had doubled in size and had all these vibrant expressions of the kingdom of God throughout the city in all parts. And so it's a quite a living testimony, an imitatable testimony to learn from. And so had the, I've had the privilege of, for a number of years to, to sit under his leadership and mentorship, and he just uses a couple of words that I don't think, personally, I can't come up with better ones to describe the way that Jesus calibrates a culture of growth, empowerment, and vitality that transformed ordinary women and, and men into radical world changers. So invitation to challenge, what do we mean by that? In a nutshell... It's in your lift notes. You can grab one on the way out if you don't uh, have one. It's the idea that God's invitation to relationship is always there with us. To be forgiven, accepted, valued, cherished, encouraged. It's a safe place. There's affection there. It's full of mercy, grace, kindness, encouragement. All those good, like warm, fuzzy things <laughs> that are real and they're the heart of God. And then there's challenge, where God challenges us to the responsibility to represent him through growth and change and action steps in order to more fully step into your potential, your purpose, the unique gifts that God has given you. And I am absolutely convinced after living this and, and, and surrendering to this for, you know, 15 years or so in this particular lens that there's, there is so much deep spiritual gold here that to be for the soul, 
to be fully alive, empowered, growing, not stuck in the status quo, not burned out, but alive, bearing good fruit, transforming with sustained, persevering energy. The soul needs both invitation and challenge. Let's take us to a couple biblical examples of where we see Jesus live this out. One is in like a snapshot of a moment, and the other is in like a very long-term relationship. So in the snapshot of a moment, let's think of the woman caught in adultery. John 8, 2-11 says this. Early in the morning, Jesus came to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So one of the things, every time we read an episode about Jesus, we have to remember that he is the gospel. He is the representation of the heart of the Father on earth. What is God like? Everything that Jesus does is answering that question. Embodying the good news, the gospel of God. And what we see here is a beautiful, like unbelievably shocking level of invitation to relationship. I mean, when you get into like the, the, the culture of the day, and you see kind of the cultural clues that, that Jesus is putting off, this is a, a mind-blowing scene where Jesus is being tested as the rabbi. They're like, okay, we're going to test you. Do you know the Bible? Do you know the heart of God? Are you going to follow the Bible? Are you a trustworthy teacher to represent God? And so they throw before him a woman who, it says, has been caught in adultery. There's no indication whatsoever that she has repented from that, that she's sorry from it, that she wants to change from it. She has just been caught in sin, a sin that was so bad, if you want to say that, or so toxic, or so put your negative word in there, that the law said that she should be stoned for such a grievous act. And they throw her before Jesus and say, what do you do? What do you say? What say you? And there's just this incredible 
invitation that he gives to her through the way that he reacts to everybody. As he bends down and draws something in the sand that so moves those self-righteous Pharisees, and as he talks to them and says, you who has no sin, because you're accusing her of all the sin, okay, if we want to play that perfection game, you who has no sin, go ahead and, and you know, give her the full punishment she deserves, because then you're next. If you want only justice, <laughs> you're the, be the first one to claim that you are perfect and holy and can mete out justice, because then we're coming after you with justice. You ready for that? And in that act, he does this incredible demonstration of mercy, not getting what we deserve, grace, getting what we don't deserve, which is this Abundant goodness in the midst of sin. God is chasing us with a message of grace and goodness. That I love you right where you're at. I love you. I want to I say come home to relationship that you're made for. And, and he does this, this act of forgiveness by, by drawing in the sand, making all of her accusers for lack of perfection, flee. And in that, you can see this, there's a protection. You know where God talks about being the shelter, come under the shelter of the Almighty? Or God describes himself like a, like a, like a, a bird, who, like a mother bird, who say, come under the shelter of God's wings. There's a, a safety, a protection from the storms, from the accusations. And so Jesus does this, this protective move. This sheltering, mercy, grace, forgiveness where he says, I do not condemn you. That's an echo of John 3.16. God did not send his son in, into the world to condemn the world, but to save. That's invitation. And his message is, and you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be 100% righteous to be accepted into relationship with God. What you need is to come under the shelter of his wings and receive forgiveness, receive his love, receive his righteousness, receive his protection. And, and Jesus is doing all of that by writing in the sand. It's genius. It's amazing. It's, it's you know, what do they say? 90% of communication is nonverbal. Like Jesus doesn't need to say much to send a really loud message. They know exactly what he means. And that's why they want to kill him. You extend grace to sinners. You forgive sins. Who can do that but God alone? A wild amount of invitation for this woman. And then comes the challenge. Go and sin no more. So there's the call to change. But notice that the call to change doesn't come before that grace. It's not, hey, if you get your act together, then I'll love you. 
It's this invitation into the receive the grace of God, receive that you're a beloved daughter of God, receive mercy and forgiveness. And as you do that, God loves you too much to leave you there. So it's like God loves us so much he died for all of our sins and God loves us too much to leave us in the toxicity of those sins. That's invitation and it's challenge. Combined together, this woman is being empowered to new life, to an abundant life, to a transformed life in this moment and for the rest of her life. So this is a snapshot of Jesus calibrating invitation and challenge. Another famous one that's from a more long-term relationship is Matthew 16, 13 to 23. So let's look at this with Peter, good old Peter, who has been with Jesus for several years by now. So this is one of Jesus' absolute, if not closest relationship on earth. Like John and Peter are the closest relationships he has on earth. He spent more time with them than anybody. He's invested more with them than anyone. He's given them more access to his life than anyone. And this is a scene there as, you know, several years into that relationship of some strong invitation and strong challenge. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's a challenge. That's, that's a challenge for each and every single one of us. At the end of the day, no one else can answer that for you but you. Who do you say? Jesus is? How are you going to take personal responsibility to respond to the person of Jesus and all of his claims about who he is? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is one of the most high levels of invitation you can find in the Bible. Jesus gives Peter this extraordinary level of invitation. Last week, Mike and Elise talked about covenant relationship, where we're made to respond to God and say yes to a covenant relationship, where our whole life becomes about relationship with God, where we receive from him an identity, where in a covenant relationship, you give everything you have, you surrender everything, and he gives you everything he has. He gives you his identity, part of his beloved family, all of heaven as your inheritance, his spirit within you, the authority to go represent him. I mean, the promises of God available to you and I that we're invited to receive in relationship are unmatched and unparalleled by anything anywhere. And Peter is receiving that invitation. He's basking in that invitation. He gets called by Jesus the little rock, 
That's a shared covenantal identity. Jesus is the rock, as, he, as Jesus said in Matthew 7. I am the rock, and on this rock, on this rock, you build your life, you will not crash when the storms come. You hear these words of mine, you put them into practice, and build your life on this rock, being Jesus. And Peter is told, you're a little rock. You're like me. You're part of the family. You're like my, you're like my spiritual son, like a chip off the old block. You get part of my identity. You're a little rock. I mean, it's so personal. It's like we talk sometimes about how God should be so personal in how he speaks to you, your identity, the way he loves you, the promises that you should feel at times. Like, wow, I must be like God's favorite. This is Peter's moment. He's told he's going to be given the keys of heaven to have God's authority on earth to fight against hell. That's a good blessing. That's a good promise. That's a quite encouraging. These are all just high levels of invitation, un unbelievably high, that Jesus bestows upon Peter out of that relationship that they have. And that same kind of intimacy and relationship and promises are available to all of us. And what will come with us if we venture down that road is high challenge which happens to Peter <laughs> right now. Then he strictly, Jesus, charged the disciples not to tell anyone yet that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on that day, the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Wow. That is an extraordinary high level of challenge. Have you ever called any of your dear friends, family members, people you're discipling Satan? How does that work? <laughs> I mean, but Jesus did. Wow. Get behind me, Satan. Right now you're a stumbling block to me. You're a hindrance to me. You're, you're not thinking with God's thoughts. You're thinking with human thoughts, carnal thoughts. That was an incredibly high level of challenge to say, you still have a lot to learn, Peter. To the point where I just need you to be quiet and get behind me. Those thoughts, your ideas, your understanding of God is so far below the truth of who God is. I need you to get behind me so I don't stumble over what you're saying. Whew. That was a little slice of humble pie. For the guy that just got called a little Jesus and they're getting the keys of the kingdom. The highest personal challenge Jesus ever gave was to the people who he also had the highest personal invitation. They go hand in hand. They're calibrated together to maximize growth. 
as a leader, Jesus masterfully calibrated both invitation and challenge in order to maximize growth. We need that. If we're leaders, if God's given you influence, we need to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, God, help me be eternally dependent on your spirit leading me to calibrate what the people need that you've given me to lead. Do they need invitation right now? Do they need challenge? Do they need both? Is it high? Is it low? Help me, God. Help me, Holy Spirit. Calibrate that well. And when we're on the discipleship end, which we all are, we should own that till the day we die, we never get over being disciples, followers of Jesus, and therefore we're on the receiving end from Jesus and through people. If it's just me and Jesus, that is a wildly unbiblical picture. Does Jesus speak to his people? Yes, but through people we receive. And so on that discipleship end, our hearts if we want to maximize growth, empowerment, abundant life, becoming more like Jesus, then we are always to remain open to receiving both invitation and challenge. And I believe that's the number one hunger that should be in our hearts. How can I receive God from you ultimately, but through people, through your word, through the spirit, through it all, through the community, through the body, how can I receive from you more invitation and more challenge? I need both to grow. And as you get in relationship with people, both on the giving and the receiving end, I encourage you, test this out. This, this is absolute gold. This is spiritual gold. This works everywhere. This works in parenting. This works in the workplace. This works in community, in church. This works with your boss or if you're the boss. I mean, there is so much, all truth is God's truth, and it can be applied anywhere. This is, this is so deep. I, I see this with my kids so powerfully. And I can see, you know, there's those times where I have to issue that really strong challenge to say, I believe that seed in you is to be a man of character way up here, way up here. And, and, and sometimes that challenge needs to be really strong to tell them to, to, so that they know you believe in them. You believe what God has put in them. And, and, and with the dependence on God and following God, they can be men of incredible, world-changing integrity and character. And my dad, or my job as a dad is to appropriately challenge them into that. Take responsibility for your life, for your actions, for your attitudes, and step up by the grace of God, to be everything that God designed you to be. That's a challenge. And anything less than that would be me being a bad dad. But calibrating that high challenge at times, it's no coincidence that with those three boys of mine, they are also more than anyone on the planet. <laughs> I don't, there is a level of intimacy with them that no one on the planet has. They are the only people that I have ever held in my arms with an, an affection flowing through me that I am a hundred percent confident is from the throne of God by grace and not me, feeling my heart explode 
with so much goodness for them, I would do anything for them. And I want nothing but goodness for them. And, and as it happened to me, flowing through to them, it was an encounter for me of the heart of the Father and how real God is and the goodness and the love and the mercy, the invitation in relationship to where it was easy for me to hold them with such affection and joy and love and sing them to sleep more times than I can count. And, and as, as God made that real to me, Bible verses became real, like Zephaniah 3.17 that says he sings over us. It's like, come on, that's too good to be true. But when I encountered it, when I encountered the heart of God flowing through me for my sons, it was kind of like reverse engineered for God to say, that's my heart for you. You're not a better parent than me. And so there is a level of love, welcoming, safety, affection, healthy touch, intimacy, safety. I say that again. Maybe that's an important one. <laughs> that, that, that flows to the boys. I mean, I don't know if you saw. I thought about this morning. My, my 10-year-old ran up to me in worship because he wanted to nuzzle right here. He grabs my hands. He nuzzled into this little I'm like the mother hen up there with my shelter out and the safety of, of God is felt by my 10-year-old who just wants to come and just nuzzle and nest and feel the warmth of love that's ultimately God. And, and it's like they, kids eat that up. And it just, it was like, hit me today. It was like, that's it. That's invitation. Paxton is coming up for some invitation into relationship, just soaking in it, basking in it, and, and that's what builds that trust for those times when I have to say, step up to your potential. Step into your destiny. Step into your calling. There's a time to grow, a time to change. And God does that with all of us, and he wants to calibrate that. Let me show us a, a picture here that hopefully will we'll, we'll bring it home, and then we close. Let me share one more quick story. It's kind of a little, this is a fun one, a little bit more lighthearted, but how I believe we can see invitation and challenge everywhere. So sports is important to me. I love sports. I've played in my whole life in various ways, not very good at times, but still, I still enjoy it and still play now and trying to find ways to be active and play different sports. And, and now my boys, all three of them have done several different sports. I've coached them in three different sports each for going on 15 years now. I love it. One of the reasons I absolutely love it is to me, it's, an, it's a foundation, sports is a foundational metaphor for spiritual life. There's so much to be learned in the realm of managing yourself, self-control, managing your own emotions, navigating, working with a coach, with teammates with wins, with losses, with highs, with lows, with struggles. And it's, it's Mr. Miyagi stuff, right? It's like, you think you're learning karate? No, you're learning life. It's like so much of sports to me is that with my boys. And so there was this kind of fun, interesting thing with uh, Paxton playing flag football for the first time a couple seasons ago. And it was also beautiful because it was like how God is ultimately calibrating invitation and challenge in our lives. And, and 
it was his first time playing football, and he, he was a little bit more kind of like on the timid end, the shy end, where it's like kind of really not letting like his, his, his full strength out, you know? And, and he, he came to us. It was interesting. Before the season, and he said, or I think we had practiced a number of times and maybe played one game or it was right around zero or one games, and he said to, you know, Mom and I, where he said, I feel like God spoke to me. And he said, this year in football, the, the lion of God is going to come out in me. I was like, oh, wow, like, right on, man. That's awesome. That's super cool. Like, and which is, that was very meaningful because it's like as a dad and mom calibrating that with him, we, we could feel that like, hey, at the right time, th- th- that kind of confidence needs to step up and step out a bit. And so he goes into the, the, the season, and <laughs> it was a first or second game. He, he scores his first touchdown ever. And it's this long bomb down, down the, the sideline, or long, long run. It was either a runner bomb, but it was a very long, like almost the full length of the field. And he, and he runs all the way down the sidelines. And my wife has it on video. She's in the end zone. And as he gets into the end zone, you know, he truck is, he's trucking in. He's got the ball in one hand. And he just crosses through the end zone. And he just does this. Just like this little flex. And we watched it on video. I didn't see it in the game. Watched it on after. Like, what the? Pax? That is so not like him. Like, just a little, like, boom, flex. And then he went and, like, jumped around with his friend. And, you know, it was a beautiful celebration. And then I remember my son Daniel. Oh, and afterwards, I encouraged him. I'm like, that was awesome, bro. I was like, hey, I like that little flex in the end zone. You know, that, that, that was the lion coming out, huh? Like, you were, you were feeling confident about a great play. And then you went and hugged your teammates and you had a good time. And, and his older brother, Daniel, was, was there. And he's like, Dad, yeah, afterwards, he's like, what are, you, what, what are you doing, man? You're like, like, you never let me flex. Like, why, why are you saying that's okay? Like, that's, that's not good at all. And it was just this interesting moment and honest conversation. Sports is life. I was like, Daniel, you were doing touchdown dances and flexing from the time you were born. <laughs> you didn't need to learn how to do that. That was God's gift and strength flowing through you from the beginning. And, and so, yeah, you're right. I coached you very differently when you were 10 and the first time you played basketball and, and you had a, a pretty darn uncanny ability to, like, hit three-pointers. And I was like, hey, you know, that was, that, was, that was fun to watch. But right away, you know, what did, what did I coach you? What did I say? You know, he's like, you know, no, no, no Steph Curry celebrations, you know, no. You know, I, yeah. And so because why? Because for him... Touchdown dance. Oh, baby, he's born to dance. He could very easily turn that into just this unhealthy soaking up of praise and in pride. And so from very early to him, I say, hey, great three-pointer. As your coach, if I ever see you going down court going like, eh, three, you are on the bench the rest of the game. One time and you're done. I, you, you, no personal celebrations for you. And And... As Pax got a little bit better and more confident, I then had that conversation with him because the, the, the celebrations were getting a little bit bigger. But I just say that to just, that's real life. In every son of mine is so different. As leaders, this is who I'm speaking to now. This is where we got to humble ourselves before God and say, Holy Spirit, help me. As parents, as bosses, as friends with people who are so different. Holy Spirit, help me learn to calibrate invitation and challenge. Because if I had given Pax the same, you know, rough challenge at the beginning that I gave Daniel, 
I possibly would have shut down the lion that would have emerged. If I would give Daniel the same invitation in the beginning, I may have created a, a monster to, that would be really hard to rein in. I want both of my boys to grow in humble confidence. That's, that's the goal for each of them. Like that there's an pro, appropriate place and time to be aggressive and strong, but also humble and sportsmanlike and not seeking the attention for your own fame. I want both. I want those character qualities for both of them. How we get there is going to be a different route based on where they're at, their gifts, their strengths, their callings. And so that's where it's just every day I'm reminded as a dad how dependent I need to be on the Holy Spirit to calibrate invitation and challenge. And so if you lead, and to whatever degree you have influence over people, I believe that's the number one question for really, that's top few questions for a leader is, Holy Spirit, how are you calling me to calibrate invitation and challenge? So there's some room in your notes to write that down. Let's go over this picture last, and, and then we'll be done here. This is just a visual of everything I've been saying, everything that's really Mike Breen has taught that's in the Bible, that's from Jesus, these, these aspects of culture in our homes, in our schools, in our Sunday school classrooms, in our small groups, in our jobs, to the degree that we have influence to bring this culture, this is kingdom culture. So real quick here, you can see it, hopefully it makes sense. There's quadrants. We want to be in that top right quadrant of a discipleship culture where we're empowered to come alive to be those beautiful flowers we saw at the beginning. How does that happen? Both high invitation and high challenge, as we've been talking about the whole message. Let's just make a couple quick contrasts. And now I want you to think of, we've been talking about leaders, being on the receiving end as a disciple can you identify being in one of these type of cultures? Maybe this was your home growing up. Maybe this is where you kind of land right now. Maybe your, a church experience has been this. We're going for a discipleship culture here. Are we perfect at doing it? Heck no, not even close. We're stumbling along the whole way. That's what the grace journey is, but that's what we want to go for. What we don't want to go for is this right here. Let's go to the top left, the status quo, high invitation and, and low challenge. That's just the status quo. It's comfortable. It's cozy. It's where you hear good news, which is true, that God loves you and he has grace and forgiveness and mercy. But if that's all you ever hear and you're not challenged to grow, you're just going to stay in the status quo. You're going to feel comfortable. You're going to feel cozy. But are you growing? Are you changing? Are you transforming? No. Because it's lacking the fullness of what Jesus models. Now, uh, lots of our culture, lots of our, I would tend to say that the majority of what our American culture gives to us is to want the cozy, comfortable culture. Just tell me the good news. Tell me the promises. Tell me how I'm loved. Tell me how good God is with mercy and grace and forgiveness. And all of that's incredibly true. I'm not minimizing that at all. But the danger is, if that's all you focus on, you get stuck in a status quo. And there is nothing whatsoever in the Bible anywhere, especially in the Gospels, that says God's will for your life is to stay stuck, comfortable, and cozy in the status quo. That's like literally the opposite of what Jesus says. 
He says, come follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, die to yourself, and you'll find the abundant life. And that goes to the other quadrant. Let's go bottom right, burnout. That's where there's low invitation, so you're not hearing a lot of the good news of how loved you are and those times of refreshing and, and that healthy affection and support and encouragement and grace and mercy, and all you're hearing is it's time to change. It's time to grow. Be responsible. Step up. Do better. Step into your destiny. While all those things are also true and God's message at times, if that's all you hear, you will be burned out. You will be stressed. You will be burdened. You will want to quit. And so if you identify with that, then it's like, wow, what do I need more of in my life? I need more invitation. And this is part of like, who are the people, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, who are the people that I'm allowing to be around me? Who is my community? Who are my leaders? Who are the people that I'm allowing to be influential over me? Who is my boss? You know, all of those things. And are you seeing a calibration of invitation and challenge because the hungry-hearted disciple says, I need both. I certainly don't want someone who's just kind of that, you know, angry taskmaster saying, do this, do this, grow, change, la, la, la. And I, you know, because I'm going to be burned out and beat down. Beat down is not a fruit of the Spirit. And yet at the same time, just cozy status quo, I'm comfortable here, don't mess with me, I'm good, I'm good. I know God loves me. That's not fruit of the Spirit either. It's the both. And that's the challenge for us. We're probably, we ought probably all favor one of those things based on our personality and then based on our circumstances, we can probably say, you know what, right now in my life I'm kind of leaning more towards one and the other. Holy Spirit, help me calibrate, what do I need? If I'm burnt out, maybe I need some more of that encouragement. Who are some people around me that can bring the truth and the promises and the invitation and the affection and the, the you know, inspiring encouragement of how much who I am in God's eyes, my identity, I need to be reminded of that. I need to receive grace, bask in it, bask in my identity. But if I'm just all up here cozy and comfortable and not changing anything, changing the world, seeing changing fruit around me, then maybe I need that push into more challenge. Ultimately, those things, when they're calibrated well, invitation and challenge, we become more like Jesus. Let's pray, and we'll close our time. Dance a new dance like David